This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent, and joining me today are special guests, Josh Gilliland of the Legal Geeks podcast and Kate Sanchez of the But Why Though podcast. And today we are discussing treason and how the Jedi handed Palpatine the mandate for Emperor by botching their removal of the Chancellor from power. Josh, Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yes, it is such a real pleasure to have you on. I I knew that, um, you know, particularly like Josh, I was just so excited uh, at the prospect of getting you on the show to talk about this. Um, not that I'm excited about treason going down at high levels of the uh, of, of U.S. politics, but you know, when you're in Beltway Banthas, you just see the uh, you know the dots connect, and you're like, oh man. I've got an episode for this week. This will be great. Yeah, if that does happen, if we do have some really, really damning emails of, I love it, maybe we'll see something. (laughs) I've already seen one impeachment trial in my life and I didn't think that was gonna happen. So some people might, this might be their, their third strike at treason because there were those who went through Nixon, which made it through the Judiciary Committee, but not to the full house. So some folks might, this could be three for three. So who knows? <laughs> Kate, Kate, have you ever uh, committed treason before? Are you treasonous? I mean, I go onto other pods all the time instead of being on mine 100% mm. of the time. So that's about the extent so, of my treason. So your oh, co-hosts no. have tried I, you for treason at this point. Exactly. Oh, no, I have stolen loot when I wasn't supposed to in a, in a, in a raid. So I guess that's treasonous for personal gain. Deep, deep treason. Deep uh, cuts right there. <laughs> I know I know. disappointed not to be with us today is my co-host, Suara Saleh. Uh, he is out canvassing right now for Ralph Northam, the Democratic candidate for governor in Virginia. So we all salute to him while he is out there being involved and being civic. Uh, one of our listeners from the New York area, Cheston Lee, a friend of Beltway Banthas, is also like all the way down from New York here canvassing uh, in my neighborhood here in Manassas, Virginia for Ralph Northam. So good for you guys. I can't say I'm excited about your candidate, but I salute (laughs) you and all the energy and hard work you're putting into it. Um, It is important to get out there and get involved. Um, Quick announcement before we dive into everything for today. Uh, Beltway Banthas is having a live show, our first of hopefully many to come in December on the 13th. That is one day before screening start for The Last Jedi. Um, So this is going to be in Arlington at the Arlington County Library featuring Ben Dominich of The Federalist, Uh, as well as Tamara Keith and Scott Detrow of NPR Politics. We're going to be doing a live panel discussion about the politics of Star Wars, everyone on the panel's fandom, and then also doing some speculation about The Last Jedi with 24 hours to go until we will be out at theaters 
getting ready to see it for ourselves. So if you are in the Northern Virginia, DC area, we would love to see you. You can go to our Facebook page and RSVP for that event there. It is free, the cap is 180 people, so there'll be room for you. We hope to see you there. If you are a new or old listener of the podcast, please do take a few moments to leave us a rating on iTunes. Those ratings do make a huge difference to us in getting seen by other people who are interested in Star Wars and politics. And we would love to try to expand our listenership and expand the community of people being excited about Star Wars and politics rather than dreading the merger of Star Wars and their politics. We are making it exciting on this show. We want more people to be excited about it too. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about treason. So this past week, the investigation by special counsel Bob Mueller resulted in the first indictments of Rick Gates, Paul Manafort, and a guilty plea by George Papadopoulos. Um, Paul Manafort is the highest profile person here. He was one of the campaign managers for Donald Trump following Corey Lewandowski, and he turned himself into the FBI uh, last Monday. So Josh, walk us through uh, what, you know, us through and the listeners through these charges against Manafort and how best to understand them, because this is some pretty juicy stuff if you're uh, following the, the drama surrounding the Trump campaign and the Trump White House. Yeah. As an attorney, cases like this are, are things we get to use as examples to explain how lawsuits work, how criminal cases work, and where evidence comes from. I focus on electronic discovery, which is emails and text messages and computer forensics, and the guilty plea and the indictment touch on the stuff that I do. And it will be very interesting to see when we actually get more of this out into the public, because when it becomes public, I wouldn't be surprised if e-discovery service providers start using all of those emails as test databases to explain things. So when it was announced that on Monday, uh, October 30th, was going to be when the indictments would come down, former federal judge Paul Graywall, who's now deputy general counsel uh, and vice president of litigation at Facebook, posted on his Facebook page an, an explanation of what was happening that was supposed to happen on Monday. And I'll read uh, from parts of uh, Paul Graywall's post because uh, uh, Judge Graywall presented with us at San Diego Comic Con in 2015 on Tatooine Law and uh, 2016 on Star Trek Law and this past year judges on Star Wars that was so much fun at San Diego. So he's full-on geek, Halloween costume was Darth Vader, he, he rocks. I, I, I love Judge Gray. Well, he's a great guy. He sounds uh, like but he also, yeah. he, you would, I love him and I don't know him. <laughs> you would, he's awesome, check him out. So he explained uh, you know, the standards because the grand jury process and the indictment normally would be before a magistrate judge. And just breaking things down, I'll do some of the highlights. Uh, grand jury indictments may be sealed, but they don't have to. The standard is so low, he can't even remember denying a request when he was on the bench. Sealed indictments are returned in closed court in ex parte. Uh, prosecution, uh, the procedure is largely just ministerial. Uh, as long as the jury foreperson is signed and turned over the bill, the judge accepts it. Arrest warrants are not standard. Uh, again, the prosecutor has discretion to ask for one or not. A warrant is unusual if the defendant is cooperating. And a grand jury and indictment are not necessary to charge 
such a case. The federal case may uh, alternatively proceed without a charging document called an information, which may be obtained by a presiding judge, usually a magistrate, uh, with a sworn affidavit that there is probable cause that a federal crime has been committed. So that was Friday. And he's like, okay, thank you, Judge Graywell, for helping explain this because people were going nuts. And it's it's like this judicial pinata happening and people are excited. We got the liberals on edge who, who, who are super stressed out and their lives haven't been the same since last November. And, you know, conservatives like me who are developing a nervous tick. So people are like, hey, what's, what's happening here? And we, we then find out about Paul Manafort, and let's go through the, the charges that, that come out against him. Count one is conspiracy against the United States, and that's defined by 18 U.S.C. Uh, section 371, and that is if two or more persons conspire either to commit any offense against the United States or defraud the United States or any agency thereof in any manner or for any purpose, and one or more such persons do any act to affect the object of the conspiracy, uh, each may be fined under this title or in prison, not more than five years or both. So let me pause you there. Um, so conspiracy against the United States sounds to me, in regards to Manafort, like the fact that he was working under the table for what the Ukrainian government um, as a as a sort of lobbyist, um, and he was representing their government's interests on the Donald Trump campaign, and he was not disclosing that to the U.S. government. Is that is that where this is stemming from? In part, <clears throat> and and there's a ton of issues with that because they weren't reporting the representation of the foreign governments. And so looking at uh, paragraph 38 of the uh, indictment, it states in part, Paul Manafort Jr. and Richard Gates III, together with others, knowingly and intentionally uh, conspired to defraud the United States by mm -hmm. impeding, impairing, obstructing, and defeating the lawful government functions of a government agency, namely the Department of Justice and the Department of Treasury, and to commit offenses against the United States to wit the violations of law charged in counts three through six and 10 through 12. And so this is lying to the FBI, like in some of their past testimony. Exactly. Yeah. So with the investigations being deceitful, being uh, um, allegedly, you know, making false statements to the FBI, uh, other documents that they did, because when you look at the, the re, you know, the rest of the indictment, there's lots of money that these guys were getting uh, and, and, you know, allegations of laundering, which is count two, conspiracy to launder money. And this gets into section uh, 18 USCS 1956 subsection H. That sounds, that sounds like a serious section. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, Kate, what was, what was your reaction to all this? Like, so you come from the left. Uh, yeah. you, 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 I mean, I think, I think we're all kind of like going like, Ooh, finally something, uh, something good is happening. But like, what was your reaction? Were you surprised at any of this? Uh, stunned? So, it really hurts to say that I was happy something was happening because obviously when you live in your country, you don't want any of this stuff to be proven or to happen in general. Like we, we don't want this to happen, you know, that, 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 but on the backs of, on the back of that, I was actually stunned is probably a good word because I was stunned that they were actually doing something about it. 
Yeah. Um, that's what really got me the most was because I feel like there has been almost this bulletproof armor around the administration where like any anything, whether it was um, any accusation, no matter how legitimate or illegitimate, just fell right off them. And, and a lot of that has to do with their ability to maintain narrative control in the media. Um, but when, the, when Manafort happened, I was kind of blown away that it was actually happening. And then I was happy that it was actually happening. And then I like got like really sad because I'm like, oh my God, this is really happening. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that perfectly <laughs> captures all of it because I, I, I think as I'm a, I'm a libertarian and I, I sort of just, I like, I see corruption and, and all this yeah. stuff that's then that go wrong. And that's like all I tend to focus on, but nothing ever happens. Everyone gets away with everything. And you just sort of see one administration after the other, no accountability. Yeah. Now, this is not the administration per se, yeah. but this is people in the orbit. And it almost feels for once like the system is working. Well, and see, we're <laughs> Yeah, like that's what I mean. Like, because I, when I say the administration, I mean like the Trump name has been able to protect so many people to actually see people who are with who are or who are orbiting around that actually having consequences or having these things we take seriously it was like yes oh my gosh this is this is just like yeah I I have a really hard time talking about it because I'm I I don't want to celebrate bad things happening in my country but at the same time I we've kind of come to the point where we need to be actively seeking out corruption at this level and, and bringing it out. And, and we, we've always been at the point, but now I think there's enough support from everyone mm -hmm. um, across both the left and the right that want this type of thing to happen. Because a lot of the times the reason that the corruption goes un, you know, um, unattested and uh, you know, untried is because you have not, the parties aren't communicating. Both sides are not wanting it to happen, and you have one side protecting it. And I so so I think now that that wall has broken down, um, you have more of this being called out. Yeah, Josh, what is we we have like two or three minutes left here with this bit. So George Papadopoulos, what what is the takeaway here in your mind? What uh what is unique about his flipping, and where do you think that this is going? It's it reads. Uh, like a weird spy novel when you look at the guilty plea and in the other correspondence. He, the crux of the charges were that he was uh, communicating and having meetings with someone who was referred to as the professor and the female Russian nationalist after joining the campaign. He claimed he talked to them before joining, so that was the untruthful statement. And he'd actually, they had actually taken an interest in him after he joined the campaign. So th there are emails. I mean, it's, it is fascinating to read this because uh, there, there's correspondence here or, you know, in, in the charges, no, not the charges, excuse me, in the plea agreement, uh, you know, there's, there's a note that the female Russian national responded, I've already alerted my personal links to our conversation in your request. As mentioned, we are all very excited by the possibility of a good relationship with Mr. Trump. Wow, the, the, Russian the audio book is already in the works. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the Russian Federation would love to welcome him once his candidature would be officially announced. 
so if there are email messages, if there is correspondence, that's where my world comes in and analyzing it and going through it. There are uh, references to Skype messages as well. There's uh, an issue after he originally talked to the FBI in timing wise, this would have been when the false statements had been made. He deactivated his Facebook account. He ceased using his cell phone and he got a new cell phone number. All of that's electronically stored information or ESI. That's my world. And it'll be fascinating when we actually get to see that because there could be some very interesting things to see. Uh, so I don't know what the you know the final analysis will be but it's not good when the russians are taking an active interest with somebody working on a presidential campaign so that mm -hmm. that is a big red flag with you know a gold sickle and hammer in it that mm -hmm. that should freak everybody out and I, I come from the school of thought that the russians were the bad guys when i was growing up and that never stopped so yeah. Yeah, I, I think for me, for me, it's it's such a relief uh, from being a college Republican, uh, being the drum for the Romney campaign to see like now we finally take the Russians seriously. Like just <laughs> I was I was raised on GoldenEye, James Bond. The Russians are the bad guys. Uh, they were always the bad guys. And now we know they are they are waging war on us um, through our media the internet yeah uh, and now through presidential campaigns they are trying to unravel this country and uh, and this system of government and we just we've it feels like there's a, a hope there's hope for us to actually come together and and lock arms on something and actually stand together against a national threat um, I really hope that we don't go the other way and just continue yeah. to eat each other yeah what frightens me are the people who are highly resistant to facts at this point in time and don't believe things. I have my 96-year-old grandfather who's flipped views. Now, he was the Reaganite, lifelong Republican, and suddenly he views that the greatest threats to democracy are Mexicans and Muslims. And I have a problem with that because bigotry is our enemy. And I really enjoyed what former President Bush Sr. said about his analysis of Donald Trump with, he's a blowhard. And yeah. I think that's an apt description of what we're dealing with here. So I don't know what will ultimately be proven in court. I don't know uh, how long it will take before Michael Pence is president, but I do believe that's going to happen. Yeah. And I think too, like, I feel like we're li living in the darkest timeline for two reasons. One, the intense amount of bigotry that is, it has always been, has always been there but is now extremely vocal and right on the surface. And a lot of that has to do with not just people feeling emboldened, but more so with the ability to share these things either anonymously through Twitter or through Facebook and the use of um, bots to push these, to, to push these things. So like now that we're in this social media area, I actually think the social media era is the darkest timeline because you know, he, uh, Papadopoulos de deactivated his Facebook account. And for some reason, knowing that a Facebook account is involved with conspiracy against the U.S. is really, really, really concerning. And then knowing also the type of facts, and I'm doing big quotes right here, that get shared across Facebook, it's, it's really bad. And it's, 
it, it's hard to live in mm. in this world. It is really hard to live in this world right now. Uh, one, one second, and I, I hate to interrupt, but, but what you said about what he's charged with, he pled guilty okay. to making false statements to the FBI, which is section uh, 18 USCS section 1001, which were some of the charges against uh, Manifold and, and Gates as well. So okay. uh, I also feel more hope and yeah. more resolve. I don't, well, well, I don't like what's happening. I don't like there are shooters that, you know, shoot 600 people and we can't talk about that, but the president can go off the rails when there's one terrorist attack in New York and that's a reason to suspend the constitution all of a sudden. I got a problem with that. But what I don't have a problem with is this is a wake up call. And there are a lot of us who are standing up going, no, the Constitution matters, rule of yeah. law matters, treating everyone with decency matters. I feel more hope than I did a year ago. That's yeah, an interesting will, take. Yeah, I mean, like, I can say people-wise, see, this is the hard thing. I want to say that I have more faith in people, but from my own positionality and things that I've experienced and I have seen my people I know experience after after a lot of the tweets and after like there were ice raids here in Austin, um, my best friend's family like came to my mom for help to be, you know, to be how like I've seen the human factor of a lot of his, um, a lot of his tweets and a lot of his policies and his complete dismissal of people's humanity that as much as I do have a hope in people, cause I do think that there have been a lot of shakes for people like, oh my gosh, this type of fear is, act like I am now experiencing the fear that other people have to live with every day. We shouldn't have come to that moment to force that empathy, but I am hopeful that more people have that empathy. But at the same time, I really feel like we're in the darkest timeline because it, it doesn't feel like it's getting better. In terms of hope, right. I, I think what I will add to, to round us out here is that I want to be where Josh is. I'm actually more where Kate is in just a, a feeling of, of being lost, of despair. Like what I have seen is that all the young uh, conservative and libertarian politicos who I came up around, how many of them are Trumpers now? And it's, it's yeah. just, it's just because of this need to like wear a team t-shirt and be for something or against something. And, and people are just so drawn to this man and this entire movement that is around him because, because it's got the brass knuckles on and it's, it's ready to fight and people want a fight. They don't want to go by legal channels anymore. They don't want to, they don't want to go through the normal processes. They just want to have a brawl in the middle of the street. And I feel like this, this president, this, this investigation, this campaign has just made it, made like opened up the wound to show that it's so much worse than it already is. Yeah. Um, but, but I will say that there are wheels turning that shows that there is still an accountability process in this yes. government, which is good. And I want to take us now to Star Wars because we need to talk about some accountability in the universe yes. where there is a complete lack of accountability. What we see in Star Wars um, is the first mentions of treason in Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Uh, the first time treason is mentioned, the Council wants you to report on all the Chancellor's dealings, to which Anakin responds, that is treason. And then later... Um, in, in Revenge of the Sith, 
we sense that the Jedi are suspicious of Palpatine. This has been brewing throughout the Clone Wars and really sped up in Revenge of the Sith. Palpatine is sensing this shift and he makes Anakin his eyes on the council in response. And then they have him spy on the Chancellor. And after Palpatine reveals his true nature to Anakin, he reports it to the council and they move to arrest the Chancellor immediately. Palpatine responds with the epic meme, the line itself, it's treason then and we're off. And now we've got like a political topic to talk about uh, on Beltway Banthas. Um, Josh, short version, legal, the legal version, what is the legal definition of treason? Well, first with the, the prequels, I so wish Marshall Lucas had been around to help smooth that stuff out. <laughs> <sighs> that being said, treason is defined in the, in the Constitution is uh, you know, it's against the United States, and it shall consist of only in uh, levying war against the United States, or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless upon the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act, or on a confession in open court. That's under Article Three, Section Three, Clause One of the United States Constitution. We also have statutory definitions of it as well, and it. It gets into, did you join the fight? Uh, because one of the first uh, cases that actually defines this in court is the trial of Vice President Aaron Burr and the issue of whether or not that Burr was loving war against the United States. And those who uh, perform a part in the prosecution of war can be found to have been, uh, you know, to have committed treason. And that's Henry Burr, 1807. Uh, excuse me, um, 10 uh, U.S. 1807. Uh, this requires that a traitor perform uh, an overt act and be uh, in league with the conspiracy. So that's that's the traditional legal definition. And then we got cases that follow. Presumably you're writing the script for Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, and you get to the parts of the, the script where you're talking about treason. I would assume that you're bringing to the table sort of our sense of what treason is, acting against the interests of your own government. And I think my first question about like the definition of, of treason in the Republic is that Anakin asserts that reporting on all the chancellor's dealings to the Jedi Council would be treason. Um, that seems like a little bit of a red flag to me, where, where, you yeah. have, where you have the Jedi who are so deeply involved in the affairs of government in the Republic that just reporting to the Jedi Council meetings that the chancellor's been having, what he's been doing, where he's going, that that's treasonous. Because in our world, wherever the president goes, whatever meetings he's taken, in theory, we have records of all that via different yeah. logs and everybody knows about stuff. But in the Republic, that might get you thrown away in the brig. Well, that's a total strong state that to defy the king is to defy the law mindset. So it's definitely not a Republican form of government view of treason. It's the strongman form of treason that if you're not with me, then you're against me and you will hang. And that is disturbing. That's not the way that this should be going down. Uh, so that was, again, I wish, I wish George Lucas's first wife had been there to help write that script. So. But, but Kate, like we, you know, we have a, have a, have a, 
republic here. Like Star Wars is not at a point yet where it has a yeah. king. Like it's it has a chancellor and it has a senate, and we've not become the empire yet. And they're this extreme about the idea of just uh, accounting on on someone's comings and goings in their meetings would be treason. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you have to for for narrative via Lucas, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think. It, at least because I, I rewatched Revenge of the Sith this morning, which um, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with Anakin's like state of mind at this time. Like, I'm not sure if this is necessarily, I mean, it is a reflection of the Republic that, that there isn't already records standing on his meetings and they're not already on the books that he would have to report on them. But I think the fact that we're at where Anakin comes from, it's because of his relation with Palpatine that makes him like it. I took it more as like, as much as he's saying it's treason in the Republic, I took that more mm -hmm. as like, this is treason to somebody that I highly respect and I owe him something. Yeah, he really resents being asked to do that as he expresses to Obi-Wan. So exactly. you're kind of going you're kind of going with like that he's he's kind of using a word and and not exactly like maybe yeah. you know the studious definition and exactly. just sort of going offhand like this is a betrayal. Um so I, I want to open it up to y'all like theories about maybe the way that this should have gone down because we end up with an empire because Palpatine is able to pin on the Jedi an attempted coup and a takeover of the Republic um, and unseating him by illegitimate means. Um, I think he played the right card that he had available to him at that time. Why was the Mace Windu tact of walking in there and putting the Chancellor under arrest the wrong way to go about unseating Palpatine? Or was it the right way if they had managed to actually defeat him and sideline Anakin uh, in the process? Yeah, so, oh, wait, go ahead, Josh. <laughs> no, no, you first. I was like, I have feelings about this just because I've, I've kind of run around it in my head. I'm like, technically Mace isn't right because, you know, in order to, if you have to, in order to make that play, you have to know that you can sideline Anakin and essentially kill Palpatine and make sure that you don't have to face any ramifications. But that being said, um, because unseating Palpatine would put power into the Jedi hands, and if you went about this a different way, and you said Anakin has reported that he is a Sith, first you have to assume that the rule of two actually is a law that you can abide by and say, okay, because of the rule of two, we know that he is the Sith that is in charge of leading this conspiracy. Um, so that has to hold up first. Secondly, you also have to hold up that a report from within the Jedi themselves then being given to the count, then giving then being given to the Senate from the council themselves isn't just a play to gain power from him by unseating him. So all of these, like every way this plays out, I think Palpatine would win. I think the way that this happened means that Palpatine wins sooner, personally. Yeah, I think I think that's astute because you know the Jedi should have taken five minutes to file a report to Senate. Yeah, leaders. exactly. You know, they, they, they have, they have allies. I mean, you have Organa, you have Mon Mothma, at least people, you have Padme, people you can trust yeah. um, who, who are part of the loyal, not the loyalist committee. Um, the, the delegation of, of 2000, uh, the people who are interested in trying to curtail the chance of yeah. powers, but they needed, they needed to have people know what was about to go down. So then Palpatine could not do a, a he said, she said, yeah. Um, against them when they're going to do that. and But the thing that complicates this is that they are trying to unseat him now because he's a Sith, not because, exactly. he's, done, not because he's done anything that is actually criminal. Is being a Sith criminal? And I would, I would 
gather that most of the members of the Senate and the average Republic's uh, citizen doesn't even know what a Sith is. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They're these <laughs> mythical monsters to them. They haven't been around for a long time. Like, what they should have done <laughs> to win the situation is they should have started documenting a possible, like, any sort of feeling of threats of things from the fan, from the moment they're in, in um, from the Phantom Menace on. There should have been a long paper trail of every single interaction that they have had with everybody that has led them to believe that this is the giant conspiracy overarching everything. That is what they needed to put forward in order to have this go any other, in, in order for it to turn up any other way but Palpatine. <laughs> yeah, all, all they need to do is prove that Count Dooku, the leader of the Separatist movement, um, had, a, had a master, had someone exactly. that he answered to. His name is Darth Sidious. We explain this to the Senate, and then we connect the dots via very clear and obvious evidence that Palpatine, our chancellor, and that person yeah. is the same person. That was, that was <laughs> submitted at the time it was found and not like yeah. way after. Josh, how would you have liked to see this go down? Uh, again, apparently no lawyers were involved in being Jedi, so that's a problem. <laughs> but you had what was left of Dooku's ship that they crashed land in. Did anyone scour the computer records to find transmissions? Because that would be great exhibits right there. Yeah. Reporting is key. It'd be one thing if this was like uh, the episode of the Clone Wars where Sidious goes to Mandalore and you know takes care of the malls. If you actually caught him in an act, yeah, have a lightsaber fight. That totally yeah. makes sense. Or if you're going to go and arrest him because you now have irrefutable proof that he's the Sith Lord that orchestrated the war that's killed God knows how many people take more guys. Yes. Yes. So this guy's super powerful. So it's good. we're going to need more than five of us. So how about the other 10 and you other 30 are going to be waiting outside to see how this goes down. So if you're going to do a yeah. Do it right. Because don't even, make, if they, like, even if they don't win in that situation, they would possibly have survivors who could attest to the other side of what happened there. Yeah, you know, the first person who mentions this whole thing that they have to do is Kiati Mundi. He first suggests removing Palpatine from office when Grievous is killed, because then he needs to return emergency powers back to the Senate. And then Mace Windu then opines on taking control of the Senate during the transition. I mean, these they were conspiring in a really unhealthy way. They needed, they needed to be in cooperation with a, at least a delegation of certain senators who, who are their trusted allies. And they were going to make sure that Palpatine returns power and they were going to do that originally when when anakin met them in the hangar and told them the news about palpatine they were not going to arrest they were going to just tell him that grievous was killed and then they yeah. immediately they immediately changed their plan they're like oh well then we must act quickly let's do an arrest now grab your lightsabers guys we're going to take this guy in yeah it was it was completely bullheaded and it seems to me that what they should have done if you kind of think about it in the way that like treason investigations have gone down in U.S. politics, and maybe maybe this whole thing with the Trump-Russia investigation, they needed to try to tie Palpatine to someone else who had already been involved in, in a lot of illicit activity. And I, I was thinking Newt Gunray. Like, I think if you needed to tie Palpatine down to somebody who already had a really tainted public profile was Newt Gunray, who was tried who was tried for various crimes against the Republic and the Naboo, and then he was um, what's the word? 
let off um, on those charges following the Phantom Menace. I feel like what they should have done is tried to connect communications between him and Newt during the war and been like, he was, he was in league with this guy all the time. And then the Republic citizens would have been able to connect those dots between like someone who they know, really big public profile to their chancellor. And then you would have had the public support maybe to move forward with the removal of a relatively popular chancellor. Not only that, what's the line of succession uh, in the in the Republic? Because follow that. There's no reason to do a coup d'etat because the the you know the Chancellor turns out to be the secret bad guy who has been actually committing treason against the Republic. It's like put the case together. You just yeah. don't go cowboy up. But again, we're a victim of bad writing. So this is where. <laughs> This is where things get really hard because as much as we love Star Wars, you watch this, it's like, oh, why didn't Dave Filoni and everyone who was writing Clone Wars handle this? Because it probably would have made more sense. Well, I'll stick up, I'll stick up for, for the writing in, in this regard in that I feel like what the Jedi did, move straight for the arrest move and like Mace Windu and them just charging in there. I feel like that's relatively human. I feel like that's maybe like, if you're talking about a holy war, which this is what, you know, ultimately this is, is yeah. just about the Jedi versus the Sith. They just threw out the politics and they were like, we have a mandate to remove this person. This is our duty. It makes sense that that's what they would think to do. I think too, a lot of this comes from the Jedi Council one having... I mean, I'm not on the side of the Empire, but I'm also solely, or like, I, I'm i not a Jedi by any means. So I do have some pretty, I, I, I'm that like fine Ahsoka line, I guess is where I'm trying to place myself here. Like, yeah. I think that the Jedi Council needs to be heavily critiqued for maintaining this insular stance in the face of having people who would work with them. Um, they just took all of their, like, if they had even a semblance of maybe we're not all powerful, they probably would have reached out and told more people. But because they had this arrogance of being able to handle everything themselves, this is why you end up with Mace doing it the way he does. Um, yeah. And I want to, I want to bring us to two things um, just, just in the interest of time. So my, we've mentioned like, where was the Senate here? I'd like to know where was the Senate ethics committee? Um, allegedly, allegedly, there is a Senate Ethics Committee. I remember it has been mentioned on screen before the Ethics Committee. And then you also have the intelligence arms of the Republic. So in this investigation against Manafort, um, you have all sorts of different departments at work. You have the, the special prosecutor who acts independently, right? I want to know, like, who would be the equivalent of like your your Bob Mueller in the Star Wars situation? Like who could step forward to lead an independent investigation? And where are the other arms of intelligence? Where are the other justice departments? Because you have the Senate Bureau of Intelligence. Um, and the Senate Bureau of Intelligence operates in the legislative context. There's also a military intelligence arm. Um, I think that becomes the ISB at a later time. And what you find is that there is, a, find in like a Wikipedia dive, is that there's no divide between the legislative committee um, and the military intelligence arm. This guy named Armand Izard leads both the military and the legislative intelligence bureaus. 
that's completely feckless. Like that's not even yeah. serious. Um, and so these, these two intelligence bureaus, they are known to be corrupt. You can pay them a certain amount to dismiss some of like a senator's ethics concerns. And so if you talk about loyalty to Palpatine, Armand Izard controls the keys to whether or not the intelligence bureaus are going to act ever. Yeah. There's no separation of powers with that. You know, again, this is script writing with, without <laughs> lawyers, without people who understand how government works, that we put in checks and balances for a reason. And there are none in this part of the Star Wars universe. And that's kind of frustrating because you look at it and it's like, how's that even functional? Yeah. Because when you're, you know, no, I can give, give Mace Windu part of a free pass with standard operating procedures is to go out and stop the Sith. Like that I can get. However, when that Sith is the chancellor, yeah, shouldn't just cowboy up and go do it. Yeah. Have, have a plan that's thought out, put it together, call those senators that you know, and do it by the book because that, they, they didn't do that. See, and my whole thing, though, is to, like, as much as I think that they, like, the only way to win this was to have documentation from the very, from the very first inkling that there is a Sith conspiracy, documenting every single person that may be involved, like, all that had to have been done way prior to, to, um, to episode three. But in this moment, I think if you're, if you're Mace Windu and you're kind of, like, weighing the stuff the amount of leverage and popularity that Palpatine has and the, there, the fact that there are no separations of powers, um, the chance yeah. that Palpatine will get off with them not doing any of the background is really high. So it's kind of like, a, it's what do you do? Do you put it through the long thing and you lose anyway? Or you, like either way, I see them losing. Yeah. And I really love Mace Windu, so I have a hard time to do. To that point, Kate, and I want to bring us to the question of the clones, because I tend to agree with you that this was going to end badly for the Jedi, no matter what, or there was going to be a civil war in which the Jedi were going to end up fighting the clones, because I think we need to talk about Order 66. Yeah. Um, are the clone troopers the ultimate card at Palpatine's sleeve to defend himself? Clone Protocol 66 is built into the clones by the Kaminoans at the order of uh, Saifa Diaz and Count Dooku, Tyrannus, all that. And what we know is that their purpose, their original purpose was to be a safeguard against Jedi takeover. They were there to be Jedi killers from the beginning. And Clone Wars, the TV show, shows this um, in the episodes Fugitive and then the episode that comes after it when a clone trooper uh, turns on his, his, his programming malfunctions, the chip in his brain that is connected to Order 66 or Protocol 66 malfunctions, and he guns down a Jedi in cold blood in the middle of a battle. And so that clone trooper is then detained, experimented on. The Jedi are doing an investigation to try to find out why did this clone trooper just like break programming and kill this Jedi master? Well, what we know, the viewer, is that that's what they're built to do. And his chip malfunctions. So at the end of the day, as soon as Palpatine knows this is going down, he triggers Protocol 66, and then he has the troops, and he has the politicians who want to side with him, and then you have Padme, Organa, and everybody else siding with the Jedi, and then you have Coruscant in complete civil war. He wouldn't have gone down without a fight. 
Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're completely right. I think the fact that you have the the, the fact that you have Protocol 66 is the reason that this ends Palpatine's way no matter what. It's just about the speed with which it happens. Because at the moment anything ha- like the there there is ace in the hole. It because ultimately it is about keeping the Jedi out because the Jedi are the ones trying to limit his power. And I I, I completely agree, which also makes me think of like what if they had um because isn't it, I haven't seen the Clone Wars in forever, so I may need your, your help here, but isn't it Rex who comes forward, um, or is it Rex or Fives? I think it's Fives. 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 Yeah, Fives, fives yeah. at the end, and they don't believe him. Mm-hmm. Like, what would have happened if they had just believed Fives? So you have Tup, who's the one who short circuits and is triggered early, and then it's Fives who goes on what is a brilliant story that gets into- crushing story. Value of life, slavery, experimentation, euthanasia, and this is a show for seven-year-olds. Yeah. And great. Uh, I did a blog post on this, and a second-year okay. second-year law student at Berkeley uh, did a uh, post on on this as well. And check check out the one that that James did from Berkeley because it's really good and it's. I think the Civil War would have been a better story front. I think that would have <laughs> that would have explained an empire forming and the hard knocks that immediately then follow. Yeah. That would have been more satisfying to viewers. But that's me. Uh, and it wouldn't have made the Jedi chumps because if Yoda is chatting with Qui-Gon's Force Ghost, what the hell, dude? This would have been a great time for your for- Force Ghost buddy to go like, oh, yeah, the Chancellor's a Sith. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, we, part of the weak ending of Revenge of the Sith of like, oh yeah, I'm talking to Qui-Gon and Obi, I need you to go learn how to do this too. Thanks. Uh, so again, a little frustrated with that from a storytelling point, but Stephen's no. view of... I think, I, think, I think that's a good point. I mean, maybe it would have been really compelling of a story for the Empire to ro- have risen out of a, a legitimate war that happened in yeah. the Republic, like a real civil war. Because at the end of the day, the separatist conflict, had it not been led by someone who was trying to start like a bloodbath, is in my mind legitimate. Go ahead, secede. Go do yeah. your own little thing. But a civil war on Coruscant is like an entirely different matter. Like that would be a real place for the empire to rise and say, like, we will give you security and safety exactly. for any people who tried to overturn our democratic republic system or whatever. Um, so I, I think that brings us to the end here. We've got to we've got to move on. Any final thoughts on treason in Star Wars? Because. And then this is just this wheel has just been turning in my mind for days. Um, And I think at the end of the day, I'm just grateful that what we have in our country is independent organizations that while sometimes like cronies may may slip into different departments and different organizations, um, we maintain independence and there are independent channels in which accountability can be upheld in this country for the time being. Um, I'm grateful for that. Star Wars does not have that. (laughs) <laughs> they, they needed a uh, Jedi Montesquieu who could have taught them the, the importance of the separation of powers because Madison latched onto that and as, as did James Wilson and, and everybody else in founding our country. And that would have been awesome if they had had that in with a Senate with tens of thousands of worlds. Yeah, I will definitely um, 
second Stephen and actually second both of you like I, I'm happy we live in a place that both has independent organizations that can look out in these things and then also that we have separation of powers built into things um, it does make me very thankful looking at looking at a system where treason isn't just going to win in the end um, because like I've said in Star Wars treason was meant to win from the beginning like it was it was meant to be enacted it was meant to do and that's that's how it falls. And um, yeah, I mean, also having rewatched Revenge of the Sith and I, I get a, I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of guilt, uh, gripe from this, from my, from my co-host. Um, I think that uh, everything we mentioned about the, the ending of Clone Wars is why I think it makes me, it doesn't, it doesn't make me appreciate Revenge of the Sith more like he says it does, because I think it just weakens everything in Revenge of the Sith story wise. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. All right. It's treason then. Okay. We're going to do some listener email and Bantha Fodder. Would y'all have some time to stick around for that? Yep. Yes. All right. Well, let's dive in here. So up first in listener email, we have Mike Harris. What's up, Suara? Steven? Suara's not here. Sorry. Um, got a question that I thought was pretty relevant to your um, to the style of Trump um, when we were discussing it on Twitter. So at Peach Nera ad libbed in a line from Old Palpatine in the style of Trump. It hit me then that there was possibly uh, quite a bit in common with the familiar story of Palpatine pay- playing both sides current controversy surrounding Trump and Russia. Is it possible that Putin and or Trump are doing something similar? Thanks. Um, I'll go first. Uh, I think Trump has no idea what is going on. I think he's going to, I think he's going to end up falling out of power because of um, incompetence and bringing in people into his orbit um, who were malicious. I don't personally view him as that, but we know that's what Russia is. Russia is trying to play both sides. Um, They are ginning up news factories um, and controversies on the internet to actually get Americans to get out in the street and brawl with one another. Um, They run Facebook pages for progressives and conservatives, and they orchestrate events that we can go out and picket against each other, and then no one shows up who are organizers because they're in Russia. Um, So if you talk about someone who is trying to play both sides of this republic against each other, it's definitely Putin. Yeah, I agree on both accounts, mostly because I I don't feel that Trump has the mental capacity to play both sides. I feel like a lot of it and a lot of and in a way, it's what what makes him a good marketer. And it's what makes him a good business person is he is just all about the front and there and he'll say what he needs to say. But he has people who are doing the things behind him it, it's it's all orchestrated from a level that isn't him it's also one of the reasons why i mean i don't think trump is malicious at all i think he says malicious things because he'll get votes for it um but i think the people around him are um but i, I completely agree Stephen. i think i think russia are the ones that are completely playing both sides of this entirely because you can't make something fall if you only have one side yelling. You have to have both sides being orchestrated against each other in a very particular way. Josh, anything to add? It was Lincoln who said a house divided cannot stand and the Russians are playing us as patsies. This is uh, asymmetrical cyber warfare where they have figured out a way to rile hatred 
to feed off prejudices and to undermine the fact that at our core, Americans are good people, that we go out of our way to help others. Uh, we've had cancerous growths throughout our history with all the different versions of the Klan, whether it was Nathan Bedford Forrest or um, Simmons in, in the early 20th century. And this is one of those spikes. This is something that I thought was confined to the history books that we're now actually dealing with. And it's the, the fact that Putin is the former KGB agent who thinks that the fall of the Soviet Union was the greatest tragedy of the 20th century, that he's out for revenge. Now, Trump is a schoolyard bully, a bigot, and an idiot, and he's playing checkers, and Mueller is playing chess. And it's a matter of time uh, that, that he learns that character is destiny, that when you equate Robert E. Lee with George Washington, you're going to learn something very quick about what, what is decent and right about America. Yep. Thanks for your email, Mike Harris. Uh, this next one is from Jason Flat. Uh, no emperor in galactic history has ever been treated as unfairly as Uncle Palpy. Rebellion? Fake news. If he was dead, I think, I think I'm supposed to be reading this with an accent. <laughs> if he was dead, would his face be appearing on the voting machine right now? I don't think so. The real collusion is in the six and a half billion galactic citizens that voted illegally to form this phony new republic. It's just downright mean the way that they treat him. Lock, lock up Crooked Leia and Lion Mon and throw away the key. They're the ones who've committed the treason. Do you really think some illegal pilots could really destroy a Death Star? I don't think so. The rebels stole our Death Star plans. They murder millions and take your jobs. They're the real criminals. Why is nobody looking at that story? The Holonets, all fake news. Fake news. Moths? Do something. Sincerely, Kyber Fox News. <laughs> All right, Jason Flat. thank you for that. That just made my day. That made my day. <laughs> we need the award ceremony where he gets the medal and everyone turning and facing. So, yes, well done, sir. Well you, can, done. you can follow Jason Flat and more of his comedy at, <laughs> at Flatter You. Uh, <laughs> this next email from Isaiah Leslie. Who would be a good candidate for an independent special investigator to uncover collusion? A senator like Bail Organa or Padme? Someone from the security forces? Um, actually, I had an answer for this. I'm going to go with Wolf Yularen. Wolf Yularen uh, is a man who I know from the books has integrity. He's moved from the Republic to the Empire as a means of survival and is a good guy stuck in a messy situation. I kind of equate him in many ways to like the Erwin Rommel of my historical memory, um, who's, who's doing the best that he can. Um, and I, I, think, I think highly of Wolf. And from some of my readings about him, um, he was involved in the Imperial um, Bureau of Intelligence, and he was in the Republic Intelligence Bureau. And I think he might have actually been able to rise as a popular figure to lead an independent investigation if he had stepped out of the ISB. Anyone? I would have been okay. I would have been okay with bail. That's where uh, I was going. Yeah, but I'm trying to think. You, it'd be preferred not to have a Jedi for obvious reasons, and preferred not to have a senator, unless the Senate convenes its own hearings and they're investigating this, which they should. But we haven't met lawyers. 
you know, like we, we haven't seen that branch of who would traditionally do this role in the Star Wars universe. And like, I do read the comics. I don't read the books. So I'm like, I'm drawing a blank on tertiary. I mean, you know, what was a, uh, a younger Admiral Raddus doing at this point in time? You know, somebody like that, who who would have the gumshoe and the resolution to do it. And I don't know how old Radis is at the time of Rogue One, but that would have worked. <laughs> so. yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so we got Wolf Yularen and Bail Organa, possibly Radis. Um, this last email is from Landon Kennedy. Uh, I just rewatched all of Star Wars all of Star Wars. And when I saw your topic for the next episode, it reminded me of some confusion I had while rewatching. It's treason then has become a kind of meme. Uh, but what exactly does it mean? Well, I think this episode will be helpful to you, Landon. Um, does Palpatine just get to decide what is treason and what isn't? Uh, he isn't the emperor yet, so he still has rules, or uh, still are rules, apparently. Um, what is what is just a... Was it just a way to show his political power as a, as a threat to Windu, or was it just bad writing that sounded cool to the writer? I bet I know what Josh thinks. <laughs> yeah, this is bad writing, and <laughs> it's and it's hard to fix. It's hard to make that fit. And so when you think of, you know, like we know what happens in episode four through six, so they got to tell a story. And at this point in history, everyone thinks Lucas is golden and they're not giving credit to everybody else who actually made those stories work. So for me, it's kind of frustrating because they got boxed in hmm. and there was no one there to, to tell you know, Lucas, hey, this is a bad idea. And I feel conflicted saying that because, because of what George Lucas made and everyone who worked with him on creating Star Wars, I had an awesome childhood absolutely amazing and i feel joy going to disneyland and you know last night was uh star wars night at the shark tank for the sharks uh, ducks game and i had my last jedi hat and uh never tell me the odds t-shirt so like i love this but damn that's bad storytelling yeah, I think it is also very important to say that you can love something undyingly and you can still critique it. And that's how we keep the things we love as things we love and keep them moving forward. So I want to say bad writing, but it was bad writing, I think, meant to emphasize the fact that even though he's not emperor yet, Palpatine knows his endgame and Palpatine knows that he has the power to say this. Ultimately, it is a bad line. Like it is, yeah. it is a bad line. But what it's trying to do is show you that Palpatine <clears throat> is trying to show that all of this is in his court and he decides. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm going to kind of split both of y'all's answers a little bit. I actually like the writing. I think it's treason then and, and I am the Senate are amazingly compelling lines of dialogue. I'm like, I, I get chills up my spine when he says that. I love it. I think um, I am the Senate is. I, I, I can, am. I can the, well, yeah. He's, he's, he's speaking truth to them in that yeah. moment. And so I think, I think what I like about those lines is that he is telling Mace Windu and everyone behind him, this is what I'm going to charge you with and it's going to work. And, you know, goodbye. You guys are done because you just made a huge tactical error and I now win. Um, so he was telling them it's treason and that is what you guys are going to go down with. And when he tells them I am the Senate, he's not being arrogant. He is speaking truth and letting them know what is really up. So I actually like it a lot. 
Um, thank you, Landon, for your email. And we are now going to move on to our legendary Bantha Fodder segment of the show where all the guests, um, Kate, Josh, myself, will opine on something that's been on our mind, Star Wars or otherwise, um, uninterrupted, and, and just sort of share with you something that's been on our thoughts. So uh, I will kick us off. I'm very excited to have Kate and Josh here to, to share all theirs as well. Um, so my Bantha Fodder. So I was watching Stranger Things 2 last night. And the mind flare got me thinking about depression because that creature is almost exactly how I picture depression, like physically looking like, like when it's like, you know, in the brain, like that's how I imagine it. Um, and it was it, when I saw it for the first time drawn out on the paper um, by, the, by the kid in Stranger Things, I was like, wow. Like I, my mind just went there and that's where I've been bogged down. And it's, it's a monster. I'm still trying to understand and, and get to get to know a little bit better because it's this thing that creeps around different aspects of my life through people that I love. Um, my wife, my brother and my mom all deal with various forms of clinical depression. And I'm one of those people who does not, um, who took a long time to even acknowledge that it was like a legitimate thing. And it wasn't just, being whiny, that kind of thing. Um, and it's because I find it very easy uh, to create happiness in my own mind and my own life. Um, and it wasn't until my wife got really good treatment and a really good combo of drugs that I actually saw that it works. Um, that depression is, is a medical condition, it's mental illness, and it can actually be addressed uh, by something other than just taking a walk uh, on a beautiful day, um, how I was raised to think about these things. Um, and anyway, so, so two weeks ago, Lincoln Park um, had a three-hour live show in honor of their singer, Chester Bennington, who recently passed away. Um, friends of the band sang songs in Chester's place and Lincoln Park just flat out celebrated for three hours um, on YouTube live stream. Like the joy was palpable and you could see it all over their faces. Um, and, and you could see that despite the terror of being on stage without their singer, they were actually like working through this in, in real time and, and trying to cope with this loss. And my favorite two bands growing up shared a stage. It was Avenged Sevenfold and Lincoln Park. Um, they were my favorite bands growing up. They're still some of my favorite bands now amongst many others. And it just felt so appropriate and poetic that two bands who I, I never associated with each other in terms of genre, like I assume that they didn't even know each other, that they shared the stage and did three songs together because they both lost members of their bands to mental illness. And anyways, I'm not going anywhere with this in particular, just to say that Lincoln Park um, means a lot to me and there's not a day that goes by where I don't worry at some point about people in my life, particularly my brother, um, something bad happening to them. Um, and my wife has been struggling a little bit extra lately with depression. And as a result, I've been struggling a little bit extra because um, it's hard on the people around those folks with depression as well um, to be there for them. And so this show that Lincoln Park did meant a lot to me. It gave me a burst of strength. And I really appreciate them for that, being there for me when I was 11 and still being for me here now um, when I'm 27. Um, so thank you guys. So um, Kate, care to share your Bantha fodder for the week? Yeah, so mine is, I'm actually becoming really jaded in just about all of my fandoms 
because of marketing. Um, and because I have a hard time saying this because I, I was, I'm very, I, I've never been the person who doesn't watch the trailers. I have no, like, I love, I love watching trailers. I love finding out more, but when the last Jedi trailer came out, um, specifically my, my experience with the Alamo draft house, they had their ticket site up without giving any notice to anybody. So I found it by chance because I just, I saw somebody say tickets were on sale, not even for draft house. I was like, Oh, well I'll check the draft house site, even though they didn't say anything. And, um, it was up and there were, I, like I had to take the very last seats in the theater for it and they were handicapped seats. So I may get kicked out of them. Like, and I called my co-host to tell him because neither one of us had received anything. And a solid hour after the tickets had gone on sale and after the entire first day of showings were, um, were already sold out, then draft house decided to, to tell us when that, that they were on sale. Um, and I got an email from draft house saying that Disney, Disney has pretty much put a cap on every, um, every, every movie, movie theater, movie theater chain that they couldn't say when tickets were on sale until after the trailer, or they couldn't say anything until after the trailer. And for me, I'm kind of like, well, why would you do that? Why would you, why would you even let your site go live before you could even say anything? It just doesn't make any sense to me. And it really makes me feel like the marketing specifically around, uh, around Star Wars is like, it's like this Thunderdome style, like fight over it marketing. And we're going to hype you up as much as we can because we want you in that seat, but we don't care if it's draining you or if it's taking away some of the magic of this franchise that you love so much. And for me, I'm, I've actively trying not to learn anything because I have reached a point where I felt my excitement drop um, because of it. And I don't like feeling that. And then just seeing at how uh, we, we, we recorded, but right before this, a Thor Ragnarok review, and there's some stuff around the marketing of that trailer and the marketing of any superhero movie trailer. Like I saw, te I, I saw four different Justice League trailer cuts of the same trailer with different songs while watching one football game. <laughs> Like, why are we saturating ourselves with so much instead of letting people love things? And then as a fandom, why are we not being responsive to the people around us who don't want to have that in their life? Like, I remember waking up and ha like three different people posted clips of that ad of that Adam Driver interview, like with no hashtags, no nothing. Like I have an extensive list of things that I have muted on Twitter to not to not be spoiled. And the fact that I'm still seeing spoilers from marketing and press events is just still annoying and that fans don't, like I understand it that everybody is excited and I'm not gonna tell anybody how to express their excitement, but I feel like it's driving fandom apart in some ways. Like my co-host has completely left Twitter for the most part because he he's had some stuff, like every, he's had stuff spoiled for him. And so he just hasn't been getting on Twitter at all. And we haven't been tweeting about Star Wars for my podcast account. And we're like, we're, we love Star Wars and we're just not doing it so that we can make, like, I'm rambling, but marketing is just, it's really making it hard to be a fan right now. It's making it really, really hard to be a fan. So, mm. yeah. I feel you, Kate. Josh, what's going on with you? Well, I actually wrote out something and now I don't know if I'll use it. I might use it another time, but in light of, of what Kate said, uh, I want to highlight 
why Star Wars has always been special to me. Now, unfortunately, I'm I'm the old man on the podcast because uh, I, I was three when when Star Wars came out initially. So it was in the theaters for a year. So my memories of seeing it are a little foggy. Unfortunately, I, I do have repressed memories of the holiday special that uh, come back at the wrong time and cause me to scream in horror every now and then when I think of that sad Wookiee who, whose house was raided. But that's not important. Uh, I think to uh, May of 1980 when Empire Strikes Back came out. And I don't normally talk about why this part of it's important, but leading up to May of 1980 was September of 1979. I started kindergarten the first time. I ended up having spinal meningitis, nearly dying, and spent a significant amount of time of that year trying to stay alive at age five. My parents divorced. And shortly before uh, my mother left to go to paramedic school, so she would start a new career after, after her and my father separated, she took me to see Empire opening weekend. And we saw it at the Century 21 in San Jose, California, which were big dome theaters. Remember sitting out on a blanket, cars going around. And as my mother loved telling the story, when we were in there, my legs basically went to the end of the seat. And for the entire running time of the movie, I didn't move or blink because I loved it. And I still remember the screams in horror with, no, I am your father. That movie's magic. They, they struck gold with it. And, they've, and for, you know, whether you love Revenge of the Sith or Rogue One or whatever movie is your movie that, that you identify with, Star Wars has been really good at providing people hope. And whether you spent hours as a kid running around with your Y-wing in the background, backyard with, with a toy TIE fighter or making costumes or this is how you, you identify, how it's your geekdom, you know, it's a good thing. So for those who are freaking out that Ray will turn to the dark side, don't. Don't watch the previews. Because think about it. Jyn Erso versus the TIE fighter. That didn't happen. Also, there's no way in hell they're going to have the female protagonist be seduced to become evil by the emo gatekeeper. That's not going to happen. There would be rioting in the streets that the hero lady suddenly turns bad because the emo gatekeeper who killed his father and probably will bump off his mom is going to get her to turn evil. Can you imagine the rioting that would take place afterwards? Don't. It's okay. Go enjoy the movie. Get the t-shirts. I'm concerned they'll bump off Luke too, and I'm sure people are going to freak out about that. We're going to have our moment with Carrie Fisher because they got to give her the hero's send-off, so we don't know how that's going to play out. But go, be strong, and love it. And don't let people on social media ruin it. You know, like, this is our thing. Go have fun. And, you know, because this matters. So enjoy it. Josh, thank you so much. Uh, thank nothing, you for that pep talk. I feel like I needed that. Yeah. I, I thank you for that as well. Like, nothing can ruin Star Wars more than 
fandom. <laughs> like just, just, Accurate. just Accurate. love the movies. Just, just, li- just lose yourself in these movies. They're, they're amazing. That's why we do this. They're amazing. And just let yourself be in love. Um, Josh, Kate, thank you so much for joining Beltway Banthas today. Um, this has been a blast, and I really appreciate you guys jumping in um, in Suara's absence here. Suara and I have just been playing a host tag. We have not been on an episode together in like three or four. It's been kind of crazy. Um, and listeners, thank you for joining and sticking with us uh, today. We do really hope um, that you will take a moment to, uh, to rate us on iTunes, leave us a couple stars, tell us how we're doing, really means a lot. Um, reemphasize, we have two events coming up here in real life, a live show on December 13th in the D.C. area. You can find that uh, on our Facebook page. And we will also be at Bull City Comic Con in Durham, North Carolina, next Saturday and Sunday. Um, that is just a couple of days after this episode drops. That's the uh, 11th, the weekend of the 11th. Um, so we'll see you there if you're in the North Carolina area. Um, follow us on Twitter at Beltway Banthas, myself at Stephen underscore Kent 89. Kate, where can people find you and what you're up to on Twitter? Yeah, so you can find my podcast, But Why Though, at But Why Though PC on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash But Why Though PC, and we talk about the things in pop culture that matter. Um, we're going to be doing a month of Star Wars soon, so I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and you can find me personally at Oh My Mithrandir on Instagram and Twitter. And if you know what my name is in reference to, I'll give you a gold star. Josh, what about yourself? So The Legal Geeks can be found at thelegalgeeks.com. We're a podcast and blog. We're on Instagram and Twitter with at The Legal Geeks and Facebook with at the legal geeks you can follow me at bowtie law uh, my e-discovery blog is bowtielaw.com because i am super easy to shop for for birthdays and holidays all right and that brings us to the close of another episode of beltway banthas we have been here today with kate and josh and we will be back next week with more until then may the force be with you always always